Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns. This week's episode of the podcast is based on a true story, Alan. Ooh. I know, that's spooky, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yes, that, that was the ghost of Alan Turing that you just heard, not the famous Alan Turing, who is also dead and presumably haunting uh, many number of, of computer devices such as this that you're listening to this show on. Uh, no, it's the the... The actor. What? What are you, Alan? <laughs> what am I? What, what are you calling yourself question. these days? I don't know. What, what my mother. I was going to call you an actor, but then I realised you go by a different name when you're acting. So I'm a podcaster. So this is the podcaster Alan Turing, <laughs> whose uh, whose achievements are. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not dwell on this. <laughs> and I'm Sol. Hi. So, what film are we doing this week? We're doing two films. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, we're doing the Conjuring movies, but not the spin-off. The Conjuring. Yeah, we're doing the, the... Just the Conjuring, the Conjuring 2. Yes, because because The Nun is coming out. The Nun? A, a spin-off of The Conjuring 2. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we're leaving the Annabelle films to one side for the time being. I'm sure we'll get to them at some point, maybe, maybe not. Hmm. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> Am I giving away my feelings? <laughs> I mean, I I sat down to rewatch these for uh, for the sake of the podcast, and I I was just thinking the whole way through. Man, I bet Alan is hating these. Well, as you, <laughs> yeah, I mean, as you as you suggest, there, I'd never seen them before. Not really my area of horror film. It's something I've not really ever clicked with. So. I don't tend to chase these things up, but I had heard of them. But I didn't. I went in pretty open-minded, mm. right? And I, well, the first film, watching the first film, I was a bit like, I don't know why we're doing these films because <laughs> I think I think I could sum up my feelings on the first film, like everything I want to say in about ninety seconds. So I thought this might be a short episode. Uh, the second, the second film, I found a lot more intriguing actually. So I got more to say about that. I'd seen these before. I actually watched both of these in the cinema. I mean, straight off the bat, I I have to say, rewatching them, they they suffer a hell of a lot not giving them the theatrical experience. I think these are yeah. of a a subgenre of film that really, really kind of has to be seen in the cinema to work properly. Mm. I don't think they really have the same level of power at home. Uh, I can believe that. Yeah, I can see that. They're more like rides than films in a lot of ways. It's it's just about the experience and and going with it. And I I think as far as films within this area of horror go, this kind of haunted house horror, jump scare based horror, I do think uh, that these are two extremely high quality examples of it. You know, you can get a hell of a lot worse than The Conjuring. Yeah, well, essentially, my my thinking was, mm. you know, as far as these haunted house jump scare things go, this is, and this is the first film specifically. It's exactly the same as those. It, yeah, the visual quality is a bit nicer. It feels like the direction is a bit more uh, focused, but ultimately, it's just the same old thing. It's, I've seen the story a thousand times, and I no, was not Alan. engaged enough. No, 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 no. But this one, these ones are based on a real life story. <laughs> well, the problem this with that happened is, for real. When when the opening credits comes up, says this is a real story, and then the next line is so and so is a clairvoyant. It's like, well, you've lost me now already. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, I mean, should we? I mean, yeah. Uh, so off the bat, I 
I take real issue with these films from a, an ethical point of view. I, I actually find it... I find them quite problematic, I suppose is the word, because I, I just... I do enjoy these films, but I I don't like the fact that they're tr- presenting themselves as real. And obviously everyone with half a brain knows that it's not real, but <laughs> I know people who are stupid and believe this shit. And I'm sure there's more people out there that I don't know who are stupid and believe this shit. I'm all for a film like Return of the Living Dead saying it's based on a true story, or even something like Fargo, because it, it's it's playing with the form and you know it's not real, but I think something like this is only doing it for the sake of box office and, and marketing. I don't think mm. there's any artistic merit to pushing these mm. as based on a real-life story. And the, the other side of it is that Ed and Lorraine Warren are profiting off of these films, and they are both, by all accounts, uh, complete and utter frauds. Even within the paranormal community, they are not well-respected paranormal investigators. They're, they're well-known for faking stuff, uh, trying to take credit for other people's work, all sorts of, of dubious things. They're they're a real pair of knobheads, mm. basically. And... Well, so I, re- I was reading up on them a little bit as well, and uh, like from the second film in this series, they mm. in the the Enfield haunting, I was reading about that, and it basically they said that yeah, they went, they weren't really allowed in, said you know, yeah. we didn't ask you to come here, you stop messing about, and that was it, <laughs> pretty much. But the the two people they are real people that these characters are based on, yeah. and the the accounts of hauntings in these films are based on sort of famous hauntings, mm. um, in the sense that hauntings are real, which they're not. So, <laughs> but these famous stories of things. For any listeners wondering, I think it's probably quite clear at this point that neither Alan or myself are <laughs> believers. Um, <laughs> I, I I love ghosts. I love the paranormal. I'm very interested in that stuff, but I don't believe in it. <laughs> I think they're fascinating insights into the human condition and human psychology and that sort of thing. And and that's mm. th- that's something I should probably point out. You know, I am actually very clued up on the paranormal. I'm not saying this is some some guy who's just dismissive of you know, oh, what load of bullshit. Yeah, you're, you're, you're not a casual, are you? Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, I think I've basically said what I've everything I've got to say about this film already, uh, and we haven't started yet. So, do you want a lead? <laughs> well, we we open on a a sort of arbitrary preamble about Annabelle, this doll that's not really relevant to anything. Have you seen yeah. the real life doll? No. Okay. In a in a don't don't look it up. We're gonna play an edition of Make Alan Turing Laugh, <laughs> and I'm gonna send you the photo now. Okay. So look at this terrifying vision of demonic. Okay, it's, it's coming up now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's, it's clear to see why they looked they at that it. and they thought this is this is going to be turned into a multi-million horror franchise. <laughs> well, that's almost like Chucky, isn't it? Where the sort of the look, the ridiculous look of it helps. Yeah. I mean, that's, the, that, the, the doll they use, <laughs> the doll they use in the film is like a proper scary, like old-fashioned yeah. doll. Isn't it? I think if they use the actual, like a doll that looked like the actual thing, and that was running around attacking people, it would probably actually be scarier. 
because it's so <laughs> ridiculous and non-threatening and soft and just dirt looking. <laughs> the actual doll in the film is just so boring looking. It's just like any old spooky China doll. She's not even China, is she? Whatever she's made out mm. of. Um, anyway, yeah, there's a tangent with Annabelle that takes up the first five, ten minutes of the film. Which I wasn't sure if, because I haven't seen the Annabelle films. When I was watching that, I was like, is this referencing an Annabelle film that came before and this is a spin-off, or was it the other way around? Was it, and then it didn't go anywhere? Well, but it's obviously just establishing the characters. Yeah, I, Annabelle was a spin-off of this film. And I don't think yeah. they planned to make the spin-off when they included all that at the start, which is an attitude that I think has changed. We'll get to that in the second film. I think they just wanted to establish Ed and Lorraine Warren as a kind of Mulder yeah. and Scully who go doing different cases and have dealt with different spooky yeah. entities. And by opening on them dealing with Annabelle, who's one of the more infamous cases that they've done, they were just kind of saying, oh, look, the previous adventures of... We're mm-hmm. picking up in the middle of their career. Now we're going to do the Amityville Horror. Uh, yeah. That's probably something we should mention. That This first film is basically a parallel version of the Amityville Horror. It's based on the same quote-unquote true story that the Amityville Horror was loosely based on. Um, yeah. yeah. You get the story of this family moving into a new house and oh, then yeah. a sort of cross-cut with the story of Ed and Lorraine Warren doing whatever they do and sort of establishing their character. You know what I think does wonders for these films and does really help to make them sit apart from hundreds of other films of this nature? What, something about, like, well, the camera movement, definitely. Oh, yeah, uh, I mean, how they're, they're shot really well. They're really competently put together. James Wan, who we've discussed before in the Fast and Furious episode that we did, uh, directs these. And what's it called? The f- Saw? Oh, and Saw, of course, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> no, I, I was going to say that the 1970s setting, I think, does a lot for these. Yeah. Well, actually, I, again, I, I felt that much more in the second film than the first one. Agreed. Because in the first film, it is all sort of set in this house, kind of in the middle of nowhere. So you just got, the family's got sideburns, and, and that's kind of it. Yeah. Um, but where in, the, in the second one, you get a lot more of that. We'll, we'll come back to that. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, here, it does give it a bit of a flavour, um, and it feels like the visual style is is playing in with it as well. Yeah, the cast's also a lot better than you'd get in the average film like yeah. this as yeah, well. You've got yeah. Vera Farmiga and um, as Lorraine Warren, she's a fantastic talent. Uh, mm-hmm. And you've got what's he called? Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson, that's the one. As uh, Ed Warren, who I'm I'm quite a big fan of. Patrick Wilson, he's um, yeah, he's sort of solid, isn't he? He's a bit yeah. I think his face is a bit too bland to really yeah. to, to really jump out, but he is a good actor. I think he's often written off as just a bland mm. B movie lead man or you know a A movie supporting man, but yeah. I think he's actually quite talented. I think he's pretty good. This felt like a a higher budget version of those crappy yeah. horror films. It just felt like they put a bit more money yeah. into it, um, which I think is it, exactly what it is. Literally, I think it is just a bigger budget than you typically get in these films. Yeah, the big <laughs> distinguishing factor for me was how loose the camera was, how free it was to move mm. around, uh, and how much they played with that without it seeming gimmicky. It, it, mm. it felt like a style rather than gimmick. Um, so, fair play with that. Yeah, they had all these kids, Yeah, none of which I could distinguish. <laughs> so yeah, They're just ghost fodder. They're, <laughs> just they're fodder, right? 
Um, I mean, I, I think the first film, yeah, in, in broad strokes, it is just very, really solidly put together, straightforward, no frills, really, um, spooky haunted house film, up until the last third, and then it kind of, it gets into territory of the, the is it the mother being possessed? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just goes absolutely mental. And yeah, you kind of have to make a choice whether you're going to go with it or not. <laughs> exorcist territory, doesn't it? Rather yeah. than horror, rather yeah. than like, yeah, rather than spooky in the shadows horror, it's exorcist horror. It, it'd been operating at a level before that where it'd be very easy to kind of think, oh, it's a trick of the mind, or this character's seeing things, or, you know, this character's going a bit mad, maybe. But it, it gets to a point where it's just very straight up. This is out and out, a mm. levitating woman in a chair. Yeah. Um, I don't know, I, I feel like it, it crosses a line near the end, and you kind of either have to go with it or not. Yeah, and and there's a a reveal, and it was forty minutes in, right? I, I checked the time, where we see kind of a ghost or spook for the first time. Um, everything else has been kind of in the shadows, things moving, blah blah blah. And it's forty minutes in where we see this girl like on a wardrobe, and it was just such a crap reveal because it was just a standard like <laughs> scary girl ghost screaming. It was just the most bog standard like horror film crap. Yeah. And it was really disappointing because I thought, you know, if you're going to build it up, like at least pay it off or, or don't do it. Do do something different. This is something I think James Wan is consistently quite guilty of, honestly. I think he's an absolute master of building suspense, but I think he often doesn't know what to do with it once he's built it up. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's true throughout his entire career. Yeah, and that's it. That's what kind of watching this film. That's I was just waiting for something to jump out of the shadows the whole time, mm. which I, I appreciate. That's what people like about this sort of thing. That's what they're into, but it's just not enough. Mm. Um, and another thing, uh, after watching these two films, they didn't scare me. Do you know what I mean? I wasn't like worried about going to the toilet in the middle oh. of the night. That's that's which is what I should be after a horror film. Well, you know, I think both of these films are really, really great in the moment horror films that are genuinely mm. very unnerving as you're watching them. But like I say, I think you have to see them in the cinema for that to work. I Watching these at home, they just didn't play like they did in the cinema. And I think that's because you're not... I think there's something to be said for that. And that's, you know, that's fine. I'm all for films being made that only serve the theatrical experience. I'm all for films being made that only serve the home experience. You know, I think there's room for all of that. I've got much more to say about the second one. Are you ready to move on? Have you got anything to say um, about the first one? No, I'm much the same. I, I've I've got a lot more to say. Should we rate the first one while we're here? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, I quite enjoy the first one. I think it's a really solid version of what it's doing. Very solid seven for me. Seems fair, yeah. I mean, I think essentially my feelings are quite the same. I just don't really care for this particular genre of film. So even if it's a solidly done version of it, I'm not bothered. Yeah. Uh, and so I gave it five. Ooh. Um, I mean, for you, that's fairly fair, yeah. Mm. Um, 
I, I think the second one is generally regarded as a, a slightly inferior film, but... Diminishing Returns? Yeah. Um, so it's Ed and Lorraine Warren continuing on their adventures, but this time it's uh, Britain's answer to the Amityville horror, if it's often, mm-hmm. as it's often referred. Uh, the Enfield Poltergeist. There's a house in a terraced street in Ponder's End, North London, where the events of the past two months have baffled all who've heard about them and scared the life out of those who've been directly involved. I mean, it's about as credible as the Amityville hauntings were. It's, <laughs> it's uh, you know, there's audio. Uh, might be worth dropping a clip in here, in fact. There's audio of the girls being quote-unquote possessed and doing a spooky voice that sounds like a little girl. <laughs> Then I had a language, and I fell asleep, and I died in a chair in the corner downstairs. Readily available online, and the photographs that they recreate in the film, where it's clearly a girl jumping on the bed and <laughs> levitating. <laughs> um, London, London calling. It's the seventies. <laughs> you get a nice yeah. montage. London Thatcher's, montage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thatcher's there and. <laughs> and uh, London bus probably, and probably the some post riots. Box, phone yeah, box. Post box. We start. We open on on with the kids. Yes. And straight away, like these these kids have been on screen for thirty seconds, and we already have more character established for them than we did for the kids in the previous film. Yes. Yes. Like, it's, and that made a, such a big difference for me with this film. Like those kid. Well, the two boys ended up kind of getting lost, but the the yeah. main girl and the other girl. Really well defined. We mm. we understood what the characters are, and that helped me kind of guide me through it as we as we watch the film. Like yeah. I cannot remember really anything great. about the kids from that first film. Same, and there were so many of them. It's just yeah. Um, well, that's I think that's part of the problem is these true stories seem to affect impoverished families with too many children. So when it comes <laughs> to adapting them to film, they've got too many characters, and some of them just end up being a bit periphery yeah. peripheral. Like the boys that we mentioned just then, one of whom has a stutter as his personality trait. That's his character, yeah. And, and the other one never, has nothing. Never goes anywhere, does it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but but one thing I've... The fact that this is all set in, in London in, in the 70s, it's, it, it made it more interesting for me. It, mm. it gave it a different flavour, which they, they really... Yeah. They totally dove straight into it, which I was impressed with that. They didn't yeah. just do sort of tokenistic uh, mm. nods to it. I, it felt I, genuine. Yeah. I, I don't know how much of it is me being biased, obviously, as a <laughs> as a British person. It made for a film I was going to enjoy a lot more often. Yeah, it just I don't know, you can just identify with it more somehow. I'm mm. not, yeah, maybe. But also, <laughs> it does mean, and I think we discussed this when we did a Fast and the Furious film that was set in London, and we, we basically said it, it takes you out of it a bit more because you see everything that's wrong. Because, <laughs> you know, you set a, set yeah. a horror film in, a, in, a, in, like in New England or something, what, what do I know? But you say it in London in the 70s, and, like, well, for a start, okay, the mother's like, oh, darling, my husband's left me. I've got nothing. I ain't got two farthings to rub together, have I? You leave my kids alone, you bloody crooked bastard. I'd rather not have my business spread all over the telly if you don't mind. Good day. And then, but then the kids are like, "Oh, hello! I'm I'm a scary British girl from a horror film. I've got a normal British voice because none of them are British yeah. for a start, so they're all just doing your standard British accent." Not to mention the the kid trying to do a stutter, like <laughs> yeah. it's a very fake do a stutter. Stutter, stutter, stutter. Yeah. <laughs> 
Hello. How was your day? Not good. Why? What happened? Mm, it's a long story. I'll tell you later. All right, then. Also, you know, she's a single mother. Her husband's left her. He's not paying, he's not paying child support, all this sort of thing. They live in the biggest fucking house I've ever seen. <laughs> in, in London? Like, all right, yeah, it's in the, the 70s. 70s. Yeah, but that house now would be like eight flats. Yeah. Um, for like a thousand pounds a month each. Yeah, but in the 70s, uh, you could get a house like that from the council. It's a council house. She's got like five that. kids. I don't know. That's how that. it works. And also, there's, there's a mention in, in one of the, like one of them when they're questioning it. They say, oh, yeah, she's trying, trying to get, to get a, better a house. trying to better, like, what fucking better council house are you going to get? It's massive. And it's not very well looked after. Like she could run a mop over it, but it's got it's got character, no, hasn't it's... it? It's like the house in Fight Club. It's it's quite appealing when you're watching <laughs> yeah. it in the film. You know, it's it's set in December. At one point, they're celebrating Christmas and stuff, and <laughs> and it's like this single glazing, no central heating. They're all just walking around in shirts and stuff like that. And yeah, it's, like it's just like warming, isn't it? this would be freezing. Come on, what needed was them just to have a fire in the fireplace. You know, is that too much to ask? Give yeah. me some realism. No, I know, I know. I did like the way it was constantly pissing down with rain, though. That felt very <laughs> authentic. I enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I like the general grey aesthetic. You know, yeah. You know, the previous film was very brown and green. Yeah. And this one's just grey. Little details like that that sort of jumped out at me. But these these were sort of minor, sort of kind of comedic things of like, oh look, it's a different culture trying to represent something I know, yeah. and it feels wrong. <laughs> but but you know, it's not talking about realism. The thing that really ruined it for me was the... The ghost? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> the fact that there's a ghost walking around? <laughs> um, the thing that really ruined it for me, just annoyed me, was when that kid's playing with that... Oh, no, we saw when the ghost's playing with the kid's fire engine. Yeah. And then he's running around the house screaming, and the fire engine's going... And everyone's just asleep. Yeah. And he he's, like, screaming. He runs into his mum's room. She's like, oh, what's going on? It's like... Fuck off, as if you were sleeping <laughs> through that. And that happens a lot in this film, where yeah, really it's, me. there's just like a 40 second delay before someone sort of runs out of a room going, what the hell's going on? Like, well, they've been screaming for 40 seconds, so when, when did you notice it? Are you putting your trousers on or something? What? So, Ed and Lorraine Warren, what they do is they travel around the world, uh, they move in with scared families, and then sort of uh, bring them peace through exorcisms and uh, paternal uh, <laughs> representation. Because they have no father figure, and so he sings Elvis to them, um, and then that's okay. How do you feel about that scene where he sings Elvis? It was, I mean, it was a nice little scene, but it's, I didn't, I'm not quite sure what it was for. It's weird, isn't it? I think it's it just, just meant, supposed I, to show they've got a relationship yeah, and all that. But. Yeah, yeah, it's an odd, an odd moment. Uh, the one of the earliest sequences in this film with them being haunted is when one of the young girls is off sick from school, home alone, watching mm-hmm. TV. I think that's a genuinely <laughs> ah. <laughs> Joe Pesci's ghost turns up at the window. <laughs> that's an outstanding job of doing an audible impression <laughs> of that image. <laughs> I did put my hands up to my face, if it helps. <laughs> um, no, I, I want to give credit to that sequence. I, I think it's really impressive how effective that is for a, a scene set during the day. But I, I think it's really impressive. And I think a lot of it's because it's a kid. It kind of takes you back to what it's like to be a kid and that, 
you can freak yourself out when you're home alone quite easily. I'm sure we've all done it in, at one time or another. And certainly mm. as a kid, you're a lot more vulnerable to spooky shit. I mean, wouldn't happen these days, leaving an 11-year-old kid at home on their own yeah. because they're off school sick. You never get away with that these days. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Here, watch the TV. <laughs> Uncle Bill's looking after you. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's something I really love with this film, and I... I think it's more prevalent in the second one than the first. Um, it, it's quite a unique element of this film altogether, really. Something that sets it apart from its peers. The ghosts really open, like it doesn't. It, in in any other film, the family would be haunted. They'd run next door to the neighbors, as they do here. The police would come over. Nothing would happen. They'd say, yeah, "Oh, yeah, the woman's yeah. mad." Yeah, they'd be you know laughed at from outsiders. In this, the police show up, and like two minutes later, there's a chair like floating down the hallway, and the police yeah. are just like, you know, <laughs> very awkwardly like, excuse you know, excuse me, Mister Bill, um, can you not do that, please, sir? And, and very British about the whole thing, and it's yeah, yeah, and then like whenever anyone comes over to be convinced, it's just like yeah, the wardrobe moves. You know, two feet, and it's yeah. like, oh, yeah, Israel. And I, Which, I really, yeah, I, I was surprised by that film. as well. Yeah, because yeah. it, it, it consistently just went, yeah, it is real. Look, don't worry about it. It yeah. is real. Because it, it's just, it's just very refreshing. We we get a ghost. We've got Bill Wilkins. Bill, He's an Bill, old man. Bill, 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 My house. So Bill Wilkins is an old man who died there, and for some reason he's decided to haunt them. Because it's my bloody house. Oh dear. And he, and he can. I like the scene where they talk to Bill through the girl. Like they get her to put water in her mouth. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm just going to so take. She a, can't be speaking. I'm just going to take a mouthful of drink now. Actually. Um, <laughs> okay. So you know it's not me if you hear Bill again. It's okay. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I can't actually see you. Maybe that'll help. Shit. He's here, Bill, Alan. Bill who drowned, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I mean, did it annoy you in this film, in that scene when they did that? And they were like, well, we'll turn around because the ghost isn't coming out whilst we actually watch you and we'll just trust you that it it's all like legit and you're not <laughs> just doing a voice yourself. Well, that's kind of what I liked about this because it was obviously playing into the fact that this is what the the girl did, and and at mm. the time in the real story, uh, there was a lot of like they couldn't make it happen when they were looking and all this sort of thing. Yeah. So and and it plays into the plot of the film in terms of later on when they're trying to s- create the idea that it that was all a hoax. That's yeah. Which I wish they'd done I, more with. Mm, um, I quite like they, that. Like I said, the first film leaves a bit of a bad taste in my mouth because it feels like. It is trying to make out like this is real, and it wants you to believe Ed and Lorraine Warren are these two brilliant ghost hunters, and blah, 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 blah. The second film, for whatever reason, feels a lot more subversive to me. Like, it kind of knows it has to go through the motions of pretending that it believes in it, but then it's put all these elements in that feel designed to be like, yeah, so this happened, and like the whole thing's obviously bullshit, (laughs) so we're just going to acknowledge that now. Yeah. It felt like a filmmaker kind of just going, all right, look, I'm giving myself a kind of way out here mm. <laughs> rather than... Because, you know, we, we see the ghost, we see her interacting with things. So, 
as an audience, we know it's going on. Uh, so then, if it, so then, when it plays it as if it's going to be a hoax, we know that's not going to be the resolution. Yeah. So it kind of feels a bit unfulfilled in that sense. But I at least liked that they gave that different flavor to it. That yeah. They, they kind of gave the nod to reality of like, well, you know, this is probably what they were doing, really. You yeah. Know, if, you, yeah. if we're honest about it. Um, but that's that particular scene where they're talking, and it and it's just um, the the main guy, Ed? Patrick Wilson, Ed Warren. Yeah, he he just turns around, and then it's just one solid shot mm. with the girls sort of out of focus in the background. And it, and however they do it, uh, whether it was a practical effect or whatever, they make it look like this um, the older man sort of you just can see a figure, so yeah. it's, it gives them a sense of that it's there. Mm. It's really nice. It's just one really long shot that really focused on Patrick Wilson's ability to to mm. sell it, which he did really well. Um, lovely little piece of work that, and I like that. Yeah. That felt that felt different in terms of direction, in terms of like making a nice little scene rather than just oh, how can we shoot this over the shoulder, blah blah blah. I think that's a great example of why these films work again because they are so well directed. And and in this film, the, the camera was quite free again. It did a lot of movement. It felt more relevant in this film than yeah. the first one. In the first yeah. one, it felt like okay, well, this is the style. It's a free flowing camera. Whereas this one, it was like. Well, we're going up here because she's just travelled through the roof or whatever, and 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 this and you got a sense of it's like ghostly movement, you know that sort of thing. Yeah, was, uh... yeah, yeah, yeah. Should we talk about the the spooks themselves? Yeah. So I like the way Bill plays into the the bigger picture of the film. Um, Bill is this old man who died in the house and is haunting the family, and he's basically the the titular. Enfield poltergeist, isn't he? Um, mm-hmm. But as the plot develops, it it becomes apparent that he's more a pawn in uh... being used by a demon. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was reading about Ed and Lorraine Warren, and it it, oh, it did, God, it did say that basically demons, yeah. they were always trying to take ghosts and turn them into demons and oh, make yeah. it about God and stuff. They, like they that. were big, big, like yeah, they were big on the old christianity and that, it's not that's, just ghosts it's demons it's part of why they're not very well respected within that field because it was always about <laughs> god this and god that and there was some kid who they just they believe was a werewolf but then they believed that he was possessed by a demon that was turning him into a wolf and all that sort of shit like it was always about a fucking demon and in the film they don't really shy away from that they they do mm. have they they have strong christianity within them and they talk about god and it it does sort of spoil it a bit uh, yeah, just like, it, I just it, want a ghost story. Come on. Well, it's a bit annoying. At the same time, I can kind of go with it because it's like, yeah, yeah, I guess within the world of this film, you're establishing demons as real. Therefore, I suppose God is probably real. I can probably go with that for the sake of this <laughs> horror film. But yeah, so the demon in question is the nun. The the demon mm-hmm. takes the form of a blasphemous image to fuck with the the Warrens. Just to wind them up. Uh, yeah, which I is... I like that. I yeah, like the demons no, just antagonising them. And I've got to say, right, <laughs> the design of that nun is fantastic. It's such a basic concept. Yeah, it's, it's quite a simple. Yeah. nun, but it's it's so well done. It, it really... it's It works so well, and it's surprisingly unique, because I can't think of any other spooky nuns in pop culture, weirdly. It, it's that character's used very well. The, the sequences with that nun are really quite unsettling. Some of them. Um, there's one fairly early on in the film where uh, the little kid sees the nun and says, "Who's that?" Mm-hmm. And then uh, Lorraine Warren's like, "What are you on about?" and walks. And then the nuns just stood there staring them out at the end of the corridor. <laughs> and then there's this sequence where the the shadow 
like walks across the room yeah, behind like the that. painting and it's yeah it's it's ludicrous and when you're watching it you kind of think this should be so outside the realms of reality and possibility this is so stupid on some level that i shouldn't this shouldn't be effective but it's directed so masterfully well i think that it is an incredibly creepy sequence and it's a rare instance, I'd say, actually, of a sequence in these films that does kind of have staying power. Yeah, because and the, there isn't really a jump scare there because it doesn't like suddenly jump out of the shadows. It, it mm. kind of crawls out of this painting. Yeah, slowly, it does it? lunge at her at the end. It does sort but, of lunge at the end, but it's, but it's, the it gets such a build-up to it. Yeah, the scary thing is you know it's going to lunge at her. And yeah. it's not like you're waiting, knowing something might jump out of the shadows. You can see it. It's, it's, it's there. hands it's are creeping around the painting. You know it's about to come at her, and it's just that sitting in that, like, wallowing in that anticipation. It, yeah, it's a really genuinely well-crafted sequence. And I like I liked that shadow moving across. It was a bit Nosferatu-esque, you know? It mm. kind of felt like that. And it, it, felt, it felt like a practical effect. It didn't yeah. feel CGI, which, for the most part, these films steer clear of quite well mm. or use uh, very well and subtly. Yeah. It feels like a lot of... Uh, physical effect like the crucifix is turning around it just mm. felt like yeah. that looked like you know you've got 12 grips at the back just turning yeah. stuff yeah. Um, which you know it's an easy enough practical effect to do but mm. it's it's so common now not to do that and it, it, it this does feel grounded in reality because of that yeah I would ex- give an exception of the crooked man though <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I don't Didn't... really like what, what why is the crooked man in this film yeah, uh, well, yeah, just to create another scary monster guy, isn't it? Yeah, like I, I, when I heard that they were going ahead with a Crooked Man spin-off, I thought, oh, yeah, I guess that was why. That's why, because it's not even like it affects the little girl that we're following. It's it's on this little boy. It's just so it's another kind of a thing thrown into the film. Bit anyway, it's not relevant to anything. I don't know. Don't, like, it's just such a tangent in this film. It'd be quite a nice, tightly plotted film without that thing knocking around. But as it is, it just feels like self-indulgent, messy. Yeah, and it's not well created. It's, yeah, it feels very CGI in a, in yeah. a film that hasn't had that. Yeah, it just fucking Slender Man thing just keeps appearing. It's it's not within the because the other things are a demon and a ghost and they're hmm. pretty much the and the same demons stuff. puppeting the ghosts you yeah know, you yeah find out later so it's it, that all makes sense but like demons and ghosts are kind of in the same ballpark of you know believability anyway but i mean what is the crooked man he's like a fucking is he a ghost well, as I think, well i think the idea is that it's the it's the it's the demon manifesting itself in a different way right. to scare the kid but why i don't know mm. I mean, in fact, I don't know what the demon's doing at all. I don't know why it's scaring people. I don't know why it's trying to kill Ed. It's it, it's after Lorraine, isn't it? I think in this film, it's because got some because they keep fighting demons, so they're like, "All right, I'm going to fuck you up then." Yeah, fair enough. So they're scaring someone in a country thousands of miles away in the hope that they'll turn up. Is that the idea? I think so. Even though it can get in their house and scare their own kid, apparently. I think that's the idea. I mean, yeah, it's like, ha, huh, you're going to have to trek across the world to fucking London. That'll show you. <laughs> they've pitched um, they've pitched this Crooked Man spin-off as a like horror fairy tale, which I find quite interesting. Because I don't know what that means. <laughs> Is the Crooked <laughs> Man, like, fa- fairy tale to me sounds like, oh, it's going to be, like, set in a fantasy land. 
with like elves and things, and I don't think that's what they mean. But then, and then the end of the film is similar to the first one, where it just goes full on right with the demon. We've got to well, my, the thing that I found very noticeable at the end of this film is that basically just transitions into like Evil Dead in terms of how it's shot. Oh, that... There was a there was an I put, I put a specific note. This shot looked like Evil Dead. See if you know it as well. Like, there's so many. He of smashes. Them. He smashes in the window, and he's going to climb in through the window. And yeah. the settee just suddenly lunges yeah. up the window. I was like, yeah, "That's yeah, Evil yeah. Dead." The way it was shot, I just I, that I, that was the bit I wrote down. And said, the, "That's Evil Dead." There's so much of the last third that kind of. On one hand, I love it because I love that Evil Dead Sam Raimi aesthetic, and I I think it works wonders. But the thing is, it works wonders in those films because they're they've got a sense of humor about what they're doing. They're they're kind of winking and smiling as they do it. And I don't yeah. think these films have that same self-awareness or sense of humour that's present in the Evil Dead films. <laughs> but, but for me, and it, it felt more jarring in this film rather than the first one, even though it's a similar sort of switch. Yeah. Because I was enjoying this one more, and I was yeah, more invested yeah. in the story of the child and the ghost and all this. And so then this just sort of derailed that, and we get into the Ed and Lorraine story, where there's this mm-hmm. whole thing, they've been chasing a nun, and... And uh, Lorraine thinks Ed is going to die. She's had a premonition. And again, it's just like, well, is this film going to end with him being pierced on a spike? Probably not. (laughs) So there's no real suspense there. It's just how they're going to get out of it. And then how they do get out of it, it's just like, oh, I know her name. It's Rumpelstiltskin. We've solved everything and we can defeat it. And it's just such crap. Like, if that's how you've defeated the monster. Well, can you explain to me as well that there's a big plot point that we've skip past here actually they they get after they've decided that it's being faked by the kids and they get on the train the thing that makes them realize no it is real and turn around is that mm. ed has this mad brainwave that he should like synchronize two different audio recordings yeah a kid out talking, of nowhere out of nowhere <laughs> sync it up with dark side of the moon and all the secret <laughs> messages like pop out this demon is trying to kill ed and lorraine or whatever then why does he want to send them away? Or what? Well, it doesn't. None of it really hangs together, does it? If you actually think about it in any way. Demons in it. <laughs> what are they up to? Eh? They just they just fuck about. I don't think they have little, much of a plan. Cheeky monkeys. I would love to be a demon. <laughs> I'd have so much fun. I'd be a really good demon. <laughs> why? You've lived with me. You know what it'd be like. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you're trying to, you're trying to, you know, go to sleep. <laughs> what was that? A little rustle in the corner. <laughs> Some glowing eyes. <laughs> Falling asleep. Slap you across the face. <laughs> oh man, I'd be so annoying. It'd be brilliant. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. You you are like that anyway. You don't have to be a demon. <laughs> no, I know. But if I was a demon, I could just like that. Could be my full time profession. You know. <laughs> uh, so <clears throat> they defeat the demon by knowing its name, which it told them, and then everyone's all right again, isn't it? It's just that's it until the Conjuring Three, which I think is now officially yeah. announced. Actually, it took him a while, but I think that is officially going ahead. But yeah, the nuns yeah. coming out. I, I'm I'm all for them making a nun film. Although the nuns in this film so much, it's basically a nun film anyway. Yeah, it's the main villain. Isn't it? But yeah, fine. After Annabelle creation, like give me more of the nun. That's cool. I'm I'm on board with that. 
that said, the trailer looks really boring and uninteresting. I mean, I haven't. I'm not interested. I haven't looked at it. I don't care. <laughs> so I'm not. I'm not going to add anything to this conversation. I'm afraid. <laughs> it's a prequel, I believe. The Nun. It's it's to do with the origins of the Nun. The origin of the Nun. That makes sense. That nobody yeah. needed to hear. Uh, rating the second one. Um, seven again, but I do think it's better than the first one. Mm-hmm. Well, I definitely preferred this one. Yeah, it was much more engaging, more character. The ending just sort of let me down a bit, uh, which is why I gave it a six. Okay. But it was, it was heading towards a seven, but yeah. uh, the ending was just a bit crap. Yeah, I think that's fair. Anyway, so it comes to ideas of, of our own sequels. I think we should say, so we'll make The Conjuring 3, and it'll just be another Ed and Lorraine Warren case file. Yeah. But we've got to come up with like five spin-off ghosts to throw in there, just to kind of <laughs> set up more films. <laughs> Although I will say, I want to say as well, that I genuinely would have liked to see a film about like this ghostly goings on and then look into it and it's a hoax. I'm more interested in the story about why a little girl would come up with a, a, a hoax and like her and her sister is like coming up with these ideas and how they're tricking people and the sort of the the, the credulous people who are falling for it and then other people coming in and going, this is stupid. I would much rather see that story than a ghost story. You want a gritty live action reboot of Scooby-Doo? <laughs> um. Yeah. More like uh, Ghost Watch. Well, well, where's this one going to be set? Like a farmhouse or a town? Like we need to figure We've done this that. Out. We need something new. Desert. I like the idea of being set in like the old west, like a cowboy <laughs> ghosts. Well, yeah, like so, a... when? So I think we should keep it in the seventies. Okay. We can't go backwards unless it's a prequel. I think we should keep going forwards. But then you can get all those crazy nutcases who were hanging around Berlin. Those Bohemian types, Bowie. Get Bowie in there. Probably a lot of leather leather bars going on. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, the gimp. S and M ghost. <laughs> gimp ghost. There you go. That's, the that's gimp. The that's your spin off. The gimp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Uh, Someone with a heavy German accent. Um, I'm going to scare you. I don't. I mean, it's, it seems too obvious, but I don't think you could get away with not setting up a Nazi ghost film. <laughs> it, it's. It sells itself, you know? <laughs> it does, yeah. Yeah, Rudolf Hess was still in, in prison at the time. He could just... A, a, Rudolf Hess in, in prison, in Spandau, and he's getting haunted by the ghost of Hitler. And he's going, oh, you betrayed me! Oh, you're a bastard! Yeah. Hey, do you know what, though? Yeah? Ghost story set in a prison. Ooh. Everyone's trapped. I'm... interesting struggling to think of something that's done that, but that seems yeah. like it should have been done endlessly. Especially if you do it in like in an American trance. prison or, or yeah, or somewhere where there's a history of executions and stuff like yeah. that. Like and they'd be really pissed off ghosts as well. Anymore? <laughs> ghost uh, ideas. I don't know, I'm just looking at this shitty real life Annabelle. Ghost <laughs> Rosie and Jim, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> Like, I mean, that's what they are. They're possessed dolls. Yeah, like the person, the person on a canal who, boat. Um, it's two routes you can go. You can either have like a collector of old children's TV memorabilia, or the person who like makes them for the, for TV shows, like the 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 art director who you know builds these puppets. Well, if we, if we're going down that route, going down the kids' TV route, what about the ghost of Barry Chuckle? 
<laughs> and and the ghost of Robbie Rotten out of that other show <laughs> that I've never seen. That'd be good. No, the other chuckle brother, and he gets haunted by his brother, but then they go on adventures and like have a good time and make a children's TV show about it. Are they still together? It's sort of a happy ending. I mean, if if it were possible to make that film with the two chuckle brothers, but like, which obviously it isn't because he couldn't have <laughs> he couldn't have one of them actually playing his that. own ghost. <laughs> if it was possible to make that film where Paul dies. Though you would have thought the other one would go first, wouldn't you? <laughs> the big one. Yeah. But if, but if you can make that film, one of them dies and comes back as a ghost, and then the other one teams up with the ghost Chuckle Brother, and they become paranormal Chuckle investigators. In fact, you don't even need one of them to be a ghost. Just just the Chuckle Brothers investigating paranormal phenomenon. Just the Conjuring that, 2, but they've replaced done the Warrens something with, with a ghost, haven't they? They must have done that. They must have years. done an episode of Chuckle Vision, like a Scooby Doo ripoff, basically. I'm I'm googling yeah. it. They must have the Chuckle Brothers in Spooky Goings On, one of nine <laughs> on YouTube. <laughs> Yeah. The Chuckle Brothers. This go. doesn't look like Chuckle Vision. This looks like its own. Oh, oh! It's is a, it a porno version? It's a pantomime. <laughs> that, that's one of the old, the elder Chuckle Brothers ah. that just come out that we discussed in a previous episode. So that's it. Ed and Lorraine Warren investigate the Chuckle Brothers and find them to be demonic. <laughs> Why? In the seventies. Why are they demonic? Because. They work for the BBC in the 70s. <laughs> it's very questionable, if you ask me. Oh, dear. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Thank you for listening, and if you enjoyed this spooky selection, then hold out until October, when we'll be covering a whole range of scary films in the run-up to Halloween. In the meantime, you can catch up on our back catalogue of episodes by going to our website, dimreturns.com. Or you could go to YouTube and search for Diminishing Returns Podcast, because we're finally getting our episodes up on there, thanks to listener Tom Patton, who has been catching up with some of the workload that we can't keep up with. Thank you, Tom, and thank you everyone else who has supported us over the last two years. Keep on listening, and see you next week.